Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here today as we close out the month of June. Uh, happy Sunday. Hope all of you are well. I've got a few announcements I'd like to make, a couple of prayer requests that I'll mention. Uh, tonight, tonight at 6 o'clock, our youth are going to youth camp in July, and tonight the churches who are going together are going to worship in here at 6 o'clock p.m. All of you are invited. Uh, Cross Camp Worship Rally today at 6 o'clock. We're also going to camp with Christ the King and First Baptist Church of Franklin. Andrew Owensby will be preaching tonight. So our adult group that usually has Bible study, we will meet in here. And uh, students obviously will meet in here. So join us tonight for Youth Camp Worship Rally and be in prayer for Youth Camp. I think the deadline for paying the money uh, is now. Is that correct, Bryson? So, see, Bryson, I owe you, Bryson, some money for youth camp. Um, deacons meeting today at 5 o'clock. I know, Deacons, I don't think that was in the bulletin or calendar, but please be here today at 5. On Wednesday, there will be no evening services. There will be Bible study Tuesday night with Jackie Wayne. But there will be no Tuesday soup kitchen. This week, the fellowship hall is being cleaned. That reminds me, we had a wonderful group of servants paint the fellowship hall and the youth space this week. If those people who are here, who participated in that, would at this time stand, we would like to thank you. Amen. And rumor had it that outside of uh, Shannon Wayne, there was no one under 60. <laughs> so so the, the senior painters <laughs> are to be commended and praised. The Lord Gina Kingston will repay them at the resurrection of the righteous. That's Luke 14, 14. Uh, Glenlock Student Connect service, July the 7th at 10.30 a.m. and a field day that evening. There's other announcements there that we have already made previously. Um, please join in prayer for the family of Marilyn Worley. Uh, that's Heidi Brannon's grandmother. She passed away this weekend. Be in prayer for Heidi and her family. And Larry Teeter's arthritis is, is not well today. Let's lift up Larry and Billy Vaughn. Billy Vaughn, he was here last Sunday, of course, but he's had a tough week, so let's continue to pray for, for Billy. All right, I don't know of any other announcements that I remember at this time. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. Please fill out a card. You'll find those in front of you and let us know who you are so that we can thank you appropriately for being here. Uh, Randy Meacham is our Deacon of the Week. Randy, would you come and read our passage and lead us in prayer? Good morning. I'm going to be reading out of Psalms 34, 1 through 10. But as I was looking through these verses, the very first uh, sentence kind of struck me. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord. You know, what does it mean to bless the Lord? And I got to thinking about that. <clears throat> I, th I see it as me being at home on a Sunday afternoon, sitting there, and my children showing up with my grandchildren. They've come just to spend some time with me. Didn't necessarily want anything. Just want to spend some time and be with me. To me, that blesses me. And it must be similar to us blessing the Lord. We're here today to bless the Lord. Follow me, if, if you will, in 34, Psalms 34. 
beginning, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exit, exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him for radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of his own troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there will be no want. The young lions do lack and, and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Let's go to the Lord. Oh, Father, again, we're just so grateful to have this time that we can come together and study your word. Father, we've come here this morning to bless you, to spend time with you, to worship you, to hear your song, songs sung. Father, we love you so much, and our desire is to serve you in any way that we can, to put you first in all things. Thank you, Father, for another day, another opportunity to serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you will stand with us, we're going to begin our worship this morning with singing Standing on the Promises. sing the lily of the valley this morning.
be seated. While Brooke makes her way up here, we're going to sing Your Great Name. And there was one announcement I needed to tell y'all. We do um, have a Glenlock team entered in the softball league for Heard County. So if you want to play, um, we've still got some spots. Or if you just want a Glenlock jersey because you don't have a Glenlock shirt, um, our jerseys just say Glenlock on them, and they're navy and white. Um, so if you want one of those, if you just see me after church, they're $15. So um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, that'll be something fun for y'all to come out and watch.
if you'll stand, we'll worship together one more time before the sermon. We're going to sing, You Are My All in All, together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for just bringing us into your presence, God, to just praise and honor and worship you, Lord, through psalm, through study, through prayer, God, Lord, and through our fellowship with one another as well, God, Lord, we thank you um, for giving us a church where love abounds, God, and where um, where we can just come every week um, to just kind of reset for the week ahead of us, God. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we open up your word from First Peter this morning. I pray that you speak through Pastor Neil, God, to give each one of us the lesson we need to learn this morning, God. Lord, you're so worthy, um, and you're so holy, God. And Lord, everything can change at just the word and the power of your great name. And we are so thankful for that, God. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's somebody creeping, creeping around up here. <laughs> you got to watch yourself these days, people. <laughs> I, just, uh, we, uh, I have a birthday card for Neil because it's not his birthday today, but it will be soon. Mm. Uh, but the third. It's the third, it's yes. The third, and, uh, 
because we won't have a chance to, to say saying happy birthday to him. But I'd like for us to sing happy birthday uh, to Neil now, and uh, and then I want to have a prayer after mm. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not a singer, so y'all. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you now and just say thank you for sending us such a pastor, such a person like Neil. God, I thank you that he is there for us all the time. I thank you, God, that he is a pastor that cares beyond being able to explain that. And I thank you, God, today that we know that we can always depend on Neil to be there for us, to help us, and to guide us, God, in your holy word. And I pray, God, that you would help us to show that appreciation by praying for him regularly, by being who we need to be uh, as, as members of this church to our pastor. And I thank you, God, for his family and for their support uh, to us as a church. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all the sacrifices that the family has to make because, God, there are many that we may not ever, or many of us may not see. But we are grateful to you, God, for having a man in the ministry that you have called to represent you and to bless us day in and day out. We love you, Heavenly Father. And we thank you for Neil, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I realized I was singing happy birthday to myself <laughs> about halfway through that, and then I stopped. Um, Mr. Millard said, Millard Edson, who was a great leader in our church and community, he used to tell me, you're going to be here to you, a ripe old man, I said. I said, that'll never happen. But uh, I'm starting to believe Mr. Millard. So another birthday at Glenlock. Uh, thank you, Terry, for your kind words. Thank you, church, for your support and your love. It's a wonderful, wonderful group of people. Sometimes I feel, in, uh, in spite of me, man, there's some great people in this church. And, and you really may not know it until you're in need. Um. Anyway, let me go to 1 Peter 3, or I'm going to not be able to compose myself. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you are new to us this morning, which most all of you probably are not, uh, we've been working through 1 Peter chapter 3, or actually the book of 1 Peter, and we find ourselves in chapter 3. You know you're preaching verse by verse through a book when you come to a passage you probably would never just choose out of nowhere to preach on. This is one of those wives submit to your husband's passages. <clears throat> and so I think one of the benefits of preaching ex expositorily through books of the Bible is that we don't, we don't get to dodge or dismiss passages that are there, that are real, that are relevant, that are important, 
that we need that are that, that are counter countercultural uh, to the nth degree, but God's word is true and God's word is reliable. God's word is the pathway to uh, true happiness, true holiness. We by design are created in his image and these are his instructions and I do want to point out, in fact, what I'm going to do is uh, pick up in chapter 2 verse 21 and read through chapter 3 verse 12. Because context is important. You can't just pull a verse out of its context and expect to get the full meaning of what God wants you to know about that particular verse. That's another reason why I preach the way that I do. If I were preaching topically, it'd be very hard for you to grasp the context of, of a, you know, 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, which talks about husbands and wives and how they are to relate to one another within the, the body of Christ. So, But if you've been with me... <laughs> you know that what he says to wives is very similar to what he's been saying to the church in previous verses, and he wraps it all around Christ and who he is and what he's done. So, picking up with verse 21 of chapter 2, he says, You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He's quoting Isaiah 53, where Peter obviously had been reading. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian, some of the versions there have bishop, of your souls. So notice chapter 3, verse 1 begins like this. In the same way. In the same way. What is the way? The way is the way of Christ. The dominating theme for the disciple of Christ is what he did for me and how that then transforms my life and how I relate to everyone and everything around me. The dominant theme of the Christian life is the cross of Christ. That's what Peter keeps coming back to. So in the same way, he says to the wives in the church, be submissive. That is an attitude. That is an outlook. That is a heart work. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior let not your adornment be merely I'm going to insert that with force <laughs> if you're listening you understand why let the adornment not be merely external braiding the hair wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses 
Is, is he saying don't go get your nails done? <laughs> no, no more haircuts? No. That's not the focus in the Christian life is not the external beauty. And that's for males and females, but he's applying it here to females. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God that's where their hope is. Not in their husband or their family. Their hope is ultimately in God. They used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. There's nothing to fear. Verse 7, you husbands, likewise. Well, that takes us back to the context of Christ and the cross. Husbands, in light of the gospel and what God has done for you in Jesus, you do this. You have a way to express your devotion to Christ as well. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. We'll talk a little bit about what that means. A little bit about what that means. Since she is a woman, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And then maybe one of the most important verses in the New Testament for men who are married. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Then he addresses everyone, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, whoever is in the sound of the voice of God and his word. Let all be, all of us, this is, this is where he's aiming, a heart and life for all of us in every relationship. He's concluding his message to uh, servants in light of authorities, uh, citizens in light of government authorities, Husbands and wives, this is what he's trying to say. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Get this, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Then in verse 10, note this. Randy Meacham this morning read Psalm 34. Were you listening? Peter also had been reading Psalm 34. How do we know this? In his message to the persecuted Christians of Asia, Asia Minor... He applies Psalm 34 to them in this context. That's why Randy read the first 10 verses of Psalm 34. Peter picks up with verse 11 of Psalm 34, and here it is. Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips 
from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Well, here's why. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We'll stop there. Father, again, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, which has come to us in general through creation, but specifically and personally through the the righteousness and the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Help us, Father, to understand this. What a What a powerful passage just in reading as to how different you will make us if we will follow Christ and trust Him and seek His face. All of us need work here. We need formed in our attitudes and our opinions because there are times, Father, when we are obstinate, we are hostile, we are unsubmissive and unresponsive and rebellious and selfish and egotistical and greedy. All of that lives within us at times. Mortify it, Father, in us so that our relationships will be transformed to be gracious and hopeful and helpful. Ultimately, all that points back to the cross and what Jesus did for us. He took upon himself our insults and our reproaches and our evil so that we might be a blessing and inherit the ultimate blessing of eternal life and a glorious future with you. Do this work in our hearts, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now he applies the gospel to the home and the community. Peter's working his way through the church, and he is saying this. He's saying the gospel has something for all of you. He doesn't address every particular situation. For example, Paul does this also in his letters. And you find Paul at times addressing the children and how they are to respond to God and what he's done for them. So in this particular context, he then moves to the home. From government authorities and the workplace or servants serving under masters in that particular culture. Now we deal with the home And if it doesn't affect us at home, then where does it affect us? That's a question that we asked last week. If if your relationship with Christ doesn't transform how you relate to your spouses, your children, your your parents, so forth and so forth, then where does it affect you? Because we know that that's where the rubber meets the road in life. It's not the only place it does, but if things are well at home, then you can move out in life in strength. If things are not well at home... If mama ain't happy, (laughs) ain't nobody happy, all right? So let's move to the con. I already emphasized in my lengthy introduction this key word or phrase in the same way in verse 1. And then in verse 7, likewise. Paul's Paul. Sounds so much like Paul. Peter, he's carrying over what he said about Christ in Isaiah 53. Now here's what I want us to remember uh, when the Bible talks to us about submission. 
In general, it gives all of us the command to have submissive attitudes toward one another and to consider other people more important than us. That's commanded, it's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. We don't like it by nature. So it's interesting that he pulls from Isaiah 53 because that basically shows us that God himself, and I mentioned this last week, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, listen, they are co-equal and co-eternal. Co-equal and co-eternal. As glorious and as magnificent and as significant and beautiful and worthy as one another. We have three persons, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Within the Godhead, you find this principle of willing voluntary submission for glorious beauty and for love. In other words, what Jesus achieved for us was a promise made by God in Isaiah 53 that the Son submitted to the will of the Father in order to keep that eternal promise. God is a promise keeper with every promise that He made and it was willing submission by the Son to the authority and will of the Father that was glorious and good and led to our salvation. So think about the Trinity and how much relational joy, how much relational satisfaction, and how much love dwells within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son to do their will within the body of Christ, the church, but that's another theological sermon but what God is showing us is himself and his ways how not only he operates but how we operate from eternity past at the core of God and the universe and reality has been this design this operation this pat pattern of submission among equals of putting others above yourself and if we are honest and real and accepting of the Bible's authority, we will recognize that our happiness is also, our ultimate happiness is found in this pattern of relational intimacy, relational cooperation, and relational service. Selfishness, which is the opposite of this, is counter to this and therefore counter to our ultimate happiness. To be a sinner is to be curved in on yourself. In other words, if submissiveness sounds horrible to you, try selfishness and see how that works out. It will be toxic for you and misery for others and all the relationships around you. And we've tried that. As we've heard in the last couple of weeks, my way doesn't work. Tim Keller has a wonderful book on marriage. I highly recommend it to everyone, single and married, because he relates everything around the gospel, and you learn so much about the gospel as you study the issue of marriage. Single or married, it's a great gospel-centered book. This is what Keller said, and I reread his chapter on submission this week just to clarify and freshen up my thinking. It's not something I address on a regular basis, as you well know. He says, paradoxically, if we try to put our own happiness ahead of obedience to God, 
violate our own nature and become ultimately miserable. In other words, if you put what you're going to do and your agenda above everything else, including what God says here, that is a formula for ultimate misery. <coughs> Me first. Never works. And God assures that it won't work because he says at the end of this, the face of the Lord is against those who live this way. He's not going to let it work out. It's toxic. This uncooperative, unsubmissive, rebellious spirit that lives in all of us. Jesus said you've got to lose your life and give all that to what, away in order to gain it. To live for others and to live for the gospel. You will keep it and gain it to life eternity. And the reason I bring all that up is that Peter thinks that this is the good life. <laughs> he says it. He's quoting Psalm 34 in verse 10. If you want to live the good life and see good days, then this is how you will operate from the heart outwardly. So that's a lengthy introduction to some of the specific commands, and I'll get to it. So if all of this sounds archaic, oppressive, and out of touch, if all of this sounds that way, but it's really who we are and how we're made and how reality actually works, then don't believe the devil's lie, and he is the ultimate liar. Luther said there's one small word that will fail him, fail him, cut him down, and that is you're lying. You're lying if you're telling me that if I do it my way, that's going to lead to happiness. That is the ultimate lie traced all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So wives, let's look particularly at the command, then we'll look at husbands. By the way, just in passing, I'm a pastor and I get often asked to do a lot of weddings. And so one of the questions historically that I've been asked Pre-marriage ceremony is guess what? Are you going to make me say obey? <laughs> Do I have to say obey? <laughs> and not once have I ever within a vow asked a young bride to say that she will obey that guy standing beside her. We'll look at the context of this in a minute. But I brought my vows this morning. Where are they? I need to know what I have vowed, don't I? What I have said at nearly every particular service is that God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then I include this phrase, and this is in the sermon part of the ceremony, Wives, graciously submit to your husbands out of, devo out of devotion to Christ. Wives, graciously submit to your husbands out of devotion to Christ. I say that out of my devotion to Christ and because I truly believe that God knows what's best for every single one of us, including husbands and wives. So I've never actually commanded somebody to say obey. As if saying that was going to usher in this horrible classification of women who said obey during their marriage ceremony. But I, I digress. Let's look particularly at the command. The command is an attitude. And I said that earlier. It's a pattern. It's it, Be submissive 
It doesn't mean do everything that he, that he ever says. It doesn't mean that. And it didn't mean that with servants and masters. And it didn't mean that with citizens and governments. What did we say there? That if those authorities command something that God forbids, don't do it. Or if they forbid something that God commands, then that's also not required of you. It, it is first unto the Lord. He guides your attitudes, your actions, and your behaviors. So it's an attitude, a pattern. It's also voluntary. Peter, by addressing women within the church, we, don't, we can't tell it. But he's elevating the cultural status of women within that, within that particular culture. That he even gives them a moral free responsibility. He recognizing that, hey, they exist and they're not just property. Jesus, Paul, Peter, the whole New Testament elevated the status of women. So this is a voluntary, out of love and devotion for Christ, attitude that I'm going to have toward my mate. And it's not every man, but a man that you chose to be the spiritual leader of your home, according to Ephesians chapter 5. So in the selection process, we are to consider, is he the kind of person who is going to strive to love me as Christ loves the church? Well, all of us husbands sin and fall short of that, but we'll address this later. This is also a general command that's commanded to all Christians in general to one another. We are never to live selfishly. It's done out of reverence to Christ. So filled with adoration for Christ that this is how I'm going to strive to be. And this is an inside-the-cup issue. It's a heart issue, and clearly God values the heart. It's not the focus of the external beauty that God is concerned about, is it, people? But God looks where? The world looks on the outside. God looks where? On the inside of the cup. Clean that out first. The purpose was to influence the husband toward faith and spiritual growth. Through not talk, which we all know is cheap, but through behavior. Ultimate goal is spiritual impact on the spouse. Obviously, this is difficult and takes prayer. That's, but God has this purpose, and, that's, and that is it's spiritual. This is not arbitrary. It's not senseless. It's not busy work. But it is so that, verse 1, they may be one without a word. That's difficult, isn't it, to win without a word? That means my actions need to lead the way, and then my words will be accepted and taken. You do this while hoping in God, as he highly esteems this type of attitude and behavior, and he's given us precedence in Jesus himself. That's what Peter quoted in chapter 2, and how he faced his own submissiveness to suffering and difficulty and death for our sake. But he also mentions these holy women of old, and who are they? And why does he mention them? So I do want to say a word about verse 6 and how Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now what does she do, walk around calling him Lord all the time? No, but there's a particular example that Peter pulls from. He has in mind 
Genesis 18, 12. Bear with me as I read from Shriner's commentary on this moment when Sarah laughed out loud. Do you remember that? She got in trouble with God because he said, oh, you laughed. And she says, no, I didn't laugh. And he says, no, I heard you laugh. So she was kind of laughing under her breath is what she meant, but God heard everything under her breath. But that's another story. Genesis 18, 12, where it references Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Listen to how she put it, or how Shriner puts how she put it. The text reflects an offhand remark by Sarah to the idea that she will become pregnant by Abraham. In other words, Abraham's having this conversation with, with the Lord, and she overhears, she's in the tent, she overhears this conversation, and she laughs to herself. They've got it on the screen. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. She says, after I've become old, I'm going to have pleasure, my, my Lord being old also? Now, what's interesting is that she, she references his age, but she doesn't disrespect it. In other words, she doesn't say, the old fool. <laughs> He's an old fool, and I'm, neither one of us are getting pregnant, which would have been a different attitude. So let me, let me give you Shriner's comment. She still refers to him with respect and dignity instead of merely calling him an old man or, my comment, an old fool. Though she did note his age. And then the commentator says this, so we see that even from this light, casual moment, she respected Abraham's leadership, revealing that her honor was particularly the, and this is what he, he used a phrase I'd never heard of, the warp and woof of her life. In other words, Sarah was a person who regularly respected Abraham, and you could see it showing up by this casual moment when she says, he's my old Lord. <laughs> That's probably not the tone. But do you get the gist of what Peter is trying to say to women within the church who happen to be married? Hey, you see what Jesus did for you on the cross? You and your husband, you're equal in worth, you're equal in value, you're equal in importance before God. Love him as Christ loved and respected the Father and his will. Let Jesus instruct how you relate to your husbands. Then husbands, likewise, he doesn't spend as much time on us in verse 7. I do want to say a point about this phrase, though, weaker vessel. Well, it sounds for some of us like we wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Does Peter mean that they are weaker morally, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually? No. And Peter knew himself in how Jesus related to the women who were disciples, and they were the very first to go to the empty tomb and proclaim the resurrection. But I take this primarily to mean physical, weaker vessel. So men don't dominate, humbly serve as Christ. In fact, husbands, if you'll take what Paul says in Ephesians 5, love her as Christ loved the church, that will direct everything else without going into more detail. Understand them is what he says. Honor them. They are a fellow heir. They share the same blessing, the same wealth, the same worth, the same value, the same dignity. She is a fellow heir of the grace of God. 
So treat her as such. Love her the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then I hear some women say, well, if he will do that, then I, I can do this. And, and that is exactly the, the gist that we are to get in the takeaway. The husband is the spiritual leader of the home, is to lead the way in how this relationship is going to work in its spiritual dimensions and taking this all very seriously. Here's the warning in verse 7. If I do not relate well to my wife, that hinders my prayer life. When I was in seminary, I had no idea that verse was in the Bible, and it, and it hit me between the eyes. You mean if I don't relate rightly to my wife, that affects my prayer life? Man, that affects this church. That affects my whole life. A lot of people call me and say, will you pray about this? And I mean, this is a serious issue. God takes this seriously. This is sacred ground that we're on here when we're talking about how we relate to one another within the home. You're not going to listen to me and how you treat her? Then I'm not going to listen to you when you call to me for prayer? Maybe something like that? I don't know. All I know is that God gives husbands this warning that if you don't dwell with her in an understanding, gracious way, then... Listen, the most important issue in your life is your prayer life. We could say that with all biblical authority. Man, God, I'm trying to drive home to myself that God cares deeply how I relate to my wife. It affects the, the vertical dimensions, and those weigh so much more than all the external material things that we're also, we're also focused on. I'm just giving it to you the way the Lord gives it to me. Wives, husbands, it's probably enough on that one, okay? Let's move on to something a little bit lighter, okay? Just bear with me. What he really desires is a heart change in every single one of us that comes from the gospel. And so listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to close this thing with a couple of illustrations and then we'll be done. Listen, all of us, and I'm just working through the text here, Live in harmony with one another. Let's all sing from the same page of music. Let's all play to the same beat and the same drummer. Let's be sympathetic with one another. Our needs, our joys, our desires, our goals. Let's love one another like family loves one another with brotherly love. Let's be compassionate. As God has been kind and compassionate to us. Let's be humble in spirit in verse 8. What do you people want? Do you want a world where you trade evil for evil and insult for insult? You know what that is? That's a Three Stooges episode. <laughs> where we're just poking each other in the eye and knocking each other on the head. And I love that kind of humor. <laughs> but in real life, <laughs> that doesn't work out very well. It's disastrous. So do you see where he's getting to? He's climbing this mountain. There's this climax of... Of, of love and instead we live in a world of insults and a world of evil so instead of returning evil for evil and insult for insult which is what you're naturally trained to do man I'm so good y'all have no idea how smart my mouth can be and some of you might <laughs> boy you got some good comebacks that can cut and one up you got to mortify that tongue. 
You got to let Christ deal with your mouth. You want to see good days in life? Let me tell you, so I'll just illustrate a blessing that happened to me this week. And I brought this t-shirt up here to, to keep you awake so I can tell it. I met a stranger this week who was wearing this shirt. And it stood out to me because on the front of it, it says, Team Cornbread. This little old man was coming down the steps. I said, man, Team Cornbread. I says, I says, I need to be on that team. <laughs> and I love cornbread. When I moved off the seminary, my friends called me Cornbread. That was my nickname. I told him all this. I said, sir, can I take a picture of your shirt? He says, no, you can't take a picture of my shirt. I thought, whoa. <laughs> then he took the shirt off and he gave it to me. <laughs> Literally right there, took the shirt off his back and he gave it to me. And he said, you might want to wash it before you wear it. So I washed it. And this is the shirt the man gave me. And I said, you know what, sir, I'm a minister and you just became a sermon illustration. <laughs> he says, well, I'm a deacon. <laughs> he says, you know, you use it how you need to. But man, I felt good the rest of the day. <laughs> because here was a man who literally gave me, right there in that moment, the shirt off his back. And it just, it lifted me up. I saw him two or three more times the, 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 the next day and week. And anyway, it just, man, I felt good. And I thought to myself, if this is how we could operate, what a difference it would make in the world. But then I also thought, what a difference it can make in us. And let me close by saying that when I read this text, everything that, that Peter has said, this is what I need. I need a deep trust and hope in God to be able to live this way. And I'm not going to go into the details, but if you go to Psalm 34 where Peter was reading, and you read a couple of verses later than where Randy read and where Peter drew out in verses 10 through 12 in this text, you'll find the prophecy of Jesus on the cross where none of his bones would be broken. Peter was reading about the crucifixion and he saw it with light of the resurrection of the New Testament and Peter knew, as John recorded, that when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs as they normally did for the crucified victims because he was already dead. And John says in John 19, that's in fulfillment of what Psalm 34 said about the crucified Savior. Meaning this, God is providential and sovereign down to every single detail, including the very bones in the Messiah's body as he was crucified. That's how much we can trust him. You go home and work out Psalm 34, John 19, and it'll increase your trust to be able to do what Peter says in insulting an evil situation. The second thing I need is forgiveness. Because I've sinned and fallen short of this, but Jesus took our evil and our insults upon himself so that we might be set free. And the third thing I need is spiritual help. I need the Holy Spirit of God. I need Christ himself living in me. And Peter says in chapter 2, verse 1, that he has provided, look at this, the verse, chapter 1, verse 2, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit to give us supernatural help. I had a lifelong friend text me this week and said to me, I need your prayers. 
For the second time in my life, someone has stolen a large sum of money from me. And he said, Pastor Neil, I'm extremely angry. I do not want this to consume me. Would you pray for me? I immediately thought of this text and what Ezekiel 36 says. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a heart of spiritual work, not a heart of stone and flesh. I'll give you that new heart. And I thought of that, and that's what my friend, and I said, look, I'll pray that, that if possible, the money will be restored to you. But if not possible, I pray that God will give you something better in its place. Better than anger and resentment and hatred and returning evil for evil, that God would do a gracious work. And so here's my point. All of us need the Spirit's help to pull off this particular text. But it's true every week of every particular text. How do we do it? Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's how we obey this, looking to him, trusting him, empowered by him. God can create in you a new creation and a new heart that instead of returning evil for evil and insult for insult, he'll do a gracious work in you that not only affects the world around you, but makes you, makes you, a more joyous, stronger person who walks with God and trusts Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our text this morning. It's a very humbling text. I know it's humbling as a, as a husband and a father, as a pastor, as a, as a human being, as a disciple. We've all been trained naturally to return evil for evil, hurt for hurt, insult for insult. But God, You, you create us... In a new way, you make us a new creation where we now are free to not be dominated by our circumstances, dominated by our authorities, but instead, Lord, to live freely and obediently for you, trusting you, relying on your forgiveness, relying on you to change our patterns of thought and behavior to really be, Lord, the church in all these circumstances. Apply this to me and every single person here in whatever context we may find ourselves in this morning, we need your grace. Thank you for providing it as we seek. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing about his grace, which thankfully is far greater than all our sin. Amen.
take her off. Pretty good with the first part. Right, Crystal? But that second part, because I'm going to tell you, I deal with people all day long. And some of them are a blessing. I mean, when they walk away from my office, I think, you know, they're a blessing. But I tell you, there's some people out there, they light me up like a pinball machine. Some of you people know what a pinball machine is. You know what I'm talking about. And we, we need this. We need, I need God to teach me to shut up. Just don't say anything. Because like Neil said time and time again, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. So I really needed this message. It was a good message. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word. And it, it is a two-edged sword. It, 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 it'll cut deep. And I know I need to, I need to work on the, my comebacks. You know, when... The message outside, you know, and Neil talked about it today is, you know, you're not return, you know, insult for insult, but instead give a blessing. That's, that's what I need to do. And it just falls back on what Paul said, you know, with your enemies, you know, be kind to them. It's like pouring hot coals on their head. Don't necessarily want to be kind to them just for the, for the effect they're going to get. It's, we need to be more like Jesus. Jesus had every right in the world when he was on the cross to, you know, he was being insulted, and he had every right in the world to insult back, but he didn't. So that's that's where I need to be, you know, to show loving kindness to my fellow man, just the way Jesus did. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for making it through a week, and we look forward to this week. Let us take this message. I know I'm going to take it, and... Someone says something, you know, that wants to get me upset, and I've got choices to make. You know, not say anything, walk away, or turn around and give a blessing. That may make all the difference. Maybe that person needs needs that. We just thank you for all the many blessings you give us. Most of all, we thank you for your Son Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin. We thank you that uh, for the opportunity to give back a portion of that which you've given us. Uh, we just pray that you take this, these tithes and this offerings, and use it to increase your kingdom. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he did on the cross for our sins. And I look forward to spending eternal life with you and your son. And it's his name I pray. Amen.